0: Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual radio show.
1: This is You, the Owner's Manual radio podcast, the B segment. This is 1056B. That's right. We're in our 21st year. 1056B of You, the Owner's Manual. And we have great guests in the B segments. The A's, of course, the latest news of the week, medical news of the week, And what it means to you um, so that you can live longer. Longevity is the next disruptor. And that pertains to today's segment as well. And I'll tell you about that in a second after I say that our sponsor is, as usual, Persona Nutrition. I get my supplements and vitamins and minerals from Persona Nutrition. You can too. Just take the free online assessment at personanutrition.com. If you don't need anything, if your diet's good and some are, you will find out you don't need anything and that's great news. On the other hand if you do, you can talk to a nutritionist, find out what you need, what foods you can get to increase it, or if you rather, you can find out what vitamins and minerals you need. That's personanutrition.com. Our guest today is from the world of bioengineering, just like last week, but this one is one that pertains to how we're going to live longer and healthier. When you look at the research in longevity, which we've done, and we had a special section, remember, on 1020 A&B, our 20th anniversary show, was all, both the A&B, was on longevity, and looking at the 14 areas where there were major research into the mechanism of aging. One of those involved 3D printing of diseased organs. And um, we talked about the my trip to the 3D printing labs at the Cleveland Clinic where um, they print organs, that is, they take um, MRIs and CT scans and they mold them together to print organs for the surgeons to actually be able to practice doing approaches, for example, in kidney transplants or lung transplants, or most likely in liver transplants or in congenital cardiac disease where they create these organs. And they said that maybe they could substitute the different colors of plastic in these printing vials so just think of it as a printer yourself and your own printer at home where you've got a color printer and you print different colors by the program calling out uh, different um inks different color inks well the same thing happens with the plastic they call out different plastic colors and so the surgeon can see Where the blood, where the arteries are, where the veins are, where the bile duct is, where abnormal tissue is, so that they can be very much more precise and design their approaches for, for example, complex congenital heart disease when a valve isn't or when there are unusual holes in the heart that they have to repair, even if they have to repair them in utero. But Just imagine if you could put different cell lines in. And instead of the red line and the plastic blood vessel, you could actually print cells that created a blood vessel. Well, our next guest, Jordan Miller, is someone who's been doing just that. And in breakthrough work, actually I'm going to let him tell you about the breakthrough work. Because one of the organs that I always thought was the most complex to do it wasn't the liver or wasn't the kidney, but was in fact the lung. The lung is really complex, but I think he's going to tell you something about it. His uh, name is Jordan Miller. He's at Rice University. You want to learn more about it from his website, it's Miller Lab. And I'll say that again several times, Uh, so if you want to log on at any time, you can do it. Jordan, thank you very much for coming on.
0: Thank you, Dr. Rosen. Thanks so much for having me.
1: And we should say that today um, you're doing this from home, I I assume, and there's a, uh, a thunderstorm in the area where you're doing it near Rice, and that has uh, aggravated, as usual, a dog in your life. And so if, if we <laughs> hear right. barking, you'll know um, that's the uh, genesis of it. So tell us about the breakthrough that you had uh, related that got the cover of Science, which is a great magazine to have the cover of. It's one of the, the elite magazines in medical research.
0: Um, yeah, thank you so much in this field of uh, bioengineering and we're trying to apply the principles of engineering to biology. And biology is, is one of those uh, sort of conundrums that has eluded engineers historically. We don't have any Newton's laws of biology, right? There's a lot that we don't know about how our body works. And so one of the things that we've noticed over the years and over the decades in this field, is the amazing architecture of the organs in our body. And we also know that the architecture is intimately related to the function of the organs. So for example, you know we we're gonna talk about the lung. The lung is doing passive transport. It's active because we're breathing in, but at the molecular level, this is passive transport. You're just trying to get oxygen out of the airway into the bloodstream. And that goes with the distance between the airway and the vasculature. So we were looking for technologies that would be able to provide for as much architectural complexity as we see in the body, but also give us the experimental handles to understand more about how we're structured and how we might be structured in the future.
1: And one of those organs that's complex and might be structured is the lung. So talk to us about how difficult the lung is and why it's more difficult than many other organs.
0: Yeah, the lung is very interesting because, so, you know, your brain is the most complicated structure. We're not talking about doing brain tissue engineering. Um, We're really talking about the vital organs besides the brain. So the lungs, the liver, uh, the pancreas, the kidneys, these so-called solid organs Um, The lung is incredibly complicated because you have to have that incredible close proximity between the airways and the bloodstream. Now, uh, our fascination with the lung architecture actually goes back hundreds of years. So you can see in drawings from Leonardo da Vinci 500 years ago, he was drawing the structure of lungs as he could observe them with the tools that he had in that day. And as far down as he could see, he saw the blood vessels coming off the heart, going smaller and smaller, but he also, you can see in his drawings, he had shown the airway and the airway is a whole other tree. And these two trees are occupying the same overall volume of the lung, but they can never touch. And if they ever touch, you would get air in your bloodstream or blood in your airways. And both of those can be fatal in seconds. So it's this incredibly complex geometrical conundrum, but it's this incredibly elegant biological mechanism that allows us to get the oxygen that we need to
1: stay alive. So the oxygen has to get in the blood, but they can't physically touch. So the engineering has to be of this very, uh, if you will, semi-permeable, permeable to oxygen, but not permeable to blood membrane between the two as well as a system that is allowed. I mean, just imagine you're pumping whatever it is, five or six liters of blood through those tubes every minute, and at the same time you're breathing about seven liters of of air every minute, and the two have got to be able to be exchanged but not mixed and imagine this isn't a miracle of if you will regular life this isn't one of our miracles this is a bioengineered miracle by studying regular life you could create an artificial lung so someone gets a damaged lung you just go to the body shop and replace a lung that's the goal
0: (laughs) that's the idea that's exactly right. That's the mission of our research. I've been working in this area um, now for about 20 years, uh, looking at different materials could interface with cells and we could use them to structure living tissue. And we're getting very excited because there is just this this ability now to show architectures that we've only ever seen anatomically before. Now we can see them in an engineering basis. So although the lungs how, how
1: And how close are we? Uh,
0: So this is a a really interesting question, is how long will it be until we get lung replacements for people or solid organ replacements? And I think just to look uh, historically, at least 30 years ago, people were predicting that uh, it was going to take another 30 years. We're here 30 years later, and we still haven't done it yet. Um, We do know there are still unknown unknowns in this area. We don't know all of the biology that will need to be solved yet, but we are seeing that the toolkit is extremely mature now for addressing these problems. And so uh, I expect you're going to see significant uh, progress here over the next decade. And uh, I think you're going to have a lot of really interesting animal data would be the next target for our group and others. So although the uh, the lung is in extremely complicated in architecture, because you're trying to get these very small vessels in very close proximity but they can never burst between them. Uh, It also has, in our view, the clearest readout for whether we did the job correctly or not, because you can take deoxygenated red blood cells, you can take them from human donors, you can take them from uh, animals, and you can run them through, and you can measure the surface area of the architecture that you've made by 3D printing, you can look at the flow rates, you can look at the oxygen tension and the gas that you're breathing into the airway that's ensheathed by this blood vessel network. You can measure the distension of the gel. And without adding any nucleated cells, you know, so the RBCs, they're, they're enucleated cells. Without having any endothelial cells or airway cells in this lung architecture, we can measure the efficiency of the architecture. And I think this is going to be a very good empirical way for us to tell whether we're on the path or not, right? Any design change that you wanna do, you would just go measure the oxygenation capacity and rate, is it better or worse than you did before? We can actually continue to evolve these on the computer and in real life and in computational models of what would be better a lot faster than we've had to wait for evolution to go so far.
1: And if you had to make a best guess, what's your best guess of, of um where we are in this process um, for any tissue. So we know you can make bony structures, 3D print them. Mm-hmm. So you can print, for example, a jaw. We know you can, that don't have many connections, that is just one organ. We, we, I understand we can 3D print uh, tracheas, that is the tubes that go from the th- um, back of the throat into the lungs. Um, that are more or less tube-like, and, and although they have some living structures with them to beat uh, junk from the lung out, meaning mm-hmm. kind of little brooms, you can, yeah. you can still pr- print those. Where are we with um, other solid organs, say um, a, a spleen or a kidney or um, a th- any, any of the organs you can think of?
0: So what's really interesting about our organ architecture is there there's a an analogy that we've all lived through over the last few decades that I think is apt here, and it's that of microchips. So with microchips, you have the smallest functional unit of compute is a single transistor, right? And a single transistor was made the first one that was made. It was big; it would fit in the palm of your hand, and there was one transistor there, right? But that was the that was the functional unit of computing, and now. The phones in your pocket have billions of transistors. They've been miniaturized, and they're on these chips that fit in your pocket. So there's a similar type of anatomical design pattern that we notice in our solid organs. So the liver, the kidneys, the pancreas, the lungs, they have these fundamental unit cell structures. We would call it the smallest functional unit of vascular tissue. And in the lungs, that's the air sac. In the liver, that's the liver lobule. In the kidney, that's the glomerulus. And in the pancreas, that's the beta islets. And so what we were showing is we have this 3D printing technique modified to allow us to do water-based gels with that level of complexity that represents that fundamental unit cell. In that case, on the cover of Science, we showed it was the lung architecture. Now, that architecture was important because it did show that it could transport oxygen into the red blood cells, they would carry them out. But it was not at the right scale. We were actually about 10 times too big for that unit cell of what's actually in your lungs. And the distance between the vessels and the airway was about 10 times too far. And we, the estimates are you probably need about 200 million of these air sacs to make a lung. So we did one in 2019, and we've been progressing to get to many, many more that would match the transport capacity of the human lungs. And it's take a little bit of time, but there are extreme technologies at the high end that are coming out. Soon, that are going to show more of this capacity than what we've seen before.
1: So in the analogy of Moore's law with the, the chip and the transistor, um, are we getting that, if you will, exponential increase the way Moore's law did with the transistors in the biomaterials area? Do we have enough investment in it to be able to get that uh, type of advance in the area of, of bioprinting of organs?
0: Well, yeah, any researcher will tell you that there are, could always be more investment in this area. right? So definitely we feel that. But we do see this passing at an exponential rate akin to Moore's Law, albeit faster than Moore's Law, because we're actually using a lot of the same principles that were originally developed for Moore's Law. What we're doing is a photopolymerization or a light-based patterning of individual layers, just like what's done to make microchips. We don't think we're gonna need seven nanometer resolution. I think we might be totally fine with two micron resolution. And there are, are printers being developed and, and publicized that are able to do this type of a structure now. So we're just curious to see what will be able be printed. How will those structures be studied in an animal setting, and where can we go from
1: there? So pretty pretty neat advances. We should say that, as I preface this whole comment uh, and the whole idea is, this is the bioprinting of materials, the so-called bionic bodies um, and replacement parts, is one of the hot topics in longevity research, is one of the areas where we expect this type of exponential progress to continue and for us to be able to um, reboot your organs back to a more youthful state whether from a bioprinted organ um, from uh, some uh, gene copy that was made um, near when you were born or whether by a new organ printing that doesn't have antigenicity as Jordan Miller's lab is doing um, or by what we call induced tissue uh, reprogramming Um, as we discussed on episode 1020 there are going to be some breakthroughs because there is so much one interest and and excitement in the research and two that we've had this happen with animal models so far so uh, Dr. Miller, Jordan Miller, Godspeed, millerlab.rice.edu is how you find more about it. But Godspeed, since it will have major effect in preventing and reversing a lot of suffering. Um, you've been listening to you. Thank you, Dr. Raisin. Thank you. You've been listening to you, the Owner's Manual podcast, 1056B, the bees are guests, like Jordan Miller, we had another sensational one last week. And just to have a great lineup, thanks to our producer, Donna Gould. And Donna always gets us the guests we want. So thank you, Donna. And to Caitlin for great engineering, but especially for you for downloading us. Um, hope you do go to our sponsor site, PersonaNutrition.com, and show them some love. But I want to show you some love. Thanks very much for downloading us. It really makes a difference. It keeps inspiring us. And that's why we do this. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another great guest and another medical news of the week and what it means to you, all the medical news that isn't COVID-19. You can hear right here. If it's meaningful to you, we'll have it on You, the Owner's Manual podcast, the A-segments.